Welcome to the podcast of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. We are training coaches and coaching leaders because we know that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Because we care and we want you to reach your full potential, we coach you to choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights that show up on the dashboard of your life. In this episode of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, we're going to talk through four specific situations, four uh, this-for-that items that will come up in almost everyone's life that we coach. Today, I'm going to unpack a few things. I mean, I usually need to explain them with folks on the first or into the second session. Sometimes they understand them, but I have to very at least make sure that they do. They are concepts that are necessary to understand in order to arrive at the changes they seek to make in their heart and lives. And they're directed at a little psychology and a lot of basic understanding of the human heart, of God in the Bible, and healthy and effective means for processing life. They are ways to, to help redirect people away from what they think they need to focus on and onto what God is ready and waiting to do in and for them and through them. Let's dive right in. Number one is the idea of parent versus no parent. So the first this for that. Parents versus no parents. This is an explanation of the importance of their relationship with their parents to whom they are today. The connection be between how they were raised by their parents to what they're struggling with today. Our, our culture does downplay this critical factor. These days it shouts things like we don't need a parent of each gender, a mother and father to be fully present and active in our early formation in order to be emotionally healthy. This is a lie from no other place than the pit of hell. <laughs> I explained that a child needs to have parental heroes and will believe that mom and dad are their heroes at any cost. So if something does go amiss in those relationships or in the home in general, well, kids assume that it's their fault placing the blame on themselves instead of on their parents, and that enables them to hold to the wish for perfect, heroic, and wonderful parents. While this works, I'm using air quotes, after a fashion, and for a time, the coping tactic will destroy them and their self-image now, and to an extent later on, in their, an expanding extent later in their lives. And remember, we love others as we love ourselves, so if we hate ourselves, we will hate others. As basic a truth as this is, you will be amazed at how surprised people will be to hear that, and how seldom they will reject it. What I say at this point is something to the effect that while this is an understandable belief for a child, holding to that as childish is hold, holding to that as an adult is childish. I can say that. Let me start over again. What I say at this point is something to the effect that while this is an understandable belief for a child, holding to that as an adult is childish and that it is time to grow up and face the truth about the damage their folks caused. Um, um, remembering that it isn't always things they did. Many times the damage was were things that weren't done. Um, that was the large part of my issue with one of my parents. This is assuming, of course, that there were that there were um, that there is parent rental damage there. We're we're not on a witch hunt for you know deadbeat dads and messed up moms. Many did and the best they could with what they had, and it's just also true that what they had to offer to their kids was not all that their kids needed. Even when parents died when they were uh, they were young, and when it was no fault of their own as a parent. Kids still have abandonment issues. So even when a child loses their parent to death, you think, well, of course, because the parent wasn't able to be there, they wouldn't have abandonment issues. No, it's not true. And um, that is, it's not just perfectly normal 
but totally expected and completely okay to admit that one has issues with their parents. More could be said here on that, but we're going to say that for another time. So we have uh, the parents' role, the, 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 the role parents' place versus no parents. And we then have, you know, let me back up and say too that even when a parent is substituted, so a, a parent doesn't do, isn't there, um, but maybe an aunt or an uncle is. Um, even though the aunt and uncle might have been the, the best, perfect, awesome parents ever, they're still going to have mommy and daddy issues, both with the parents that weren't there and the aunt or uncle that was wonderful. It's just the way it is. So we're going to talk now about symptoms versus disease. Most people need to understand the difference between the response and feelings they experience that are symptomatic of a deeper problem. Something that will require surgery to correct or that is just a or that is just a cold that needs to be medicated till they get over it. Helps people to hear that their anger or addiction or whatever their presenting problem is. Often, you know, it's not the real problem. And that when we discover what the inner wound is, what they are medicating or ignoring or suppressing, and bring it to God for healing, the angry and addictive symptom, the pre presenting problem will melt away on its own. I, I often switch the metaphor if I, I don't think that there is a, a medical background or fear uh, or feel a mechanical one will, will serve better. And I explain that anger is like uh, a light on the dashboard of life. We used to call them idiot lights, but that's politically incorrect. The light is doing its job when it goes off, and so is your anger and addiction. Until you take the car to professional so that they can pop the hood and find the deeper problem, the light will stay on. You can cover the light with some tape, maybe break the bulb or move the bulb, but that doesn't fix the real issue. When the oil light first comes on, a little liquid lubricant is all you need to get back on the road, but ignore the light and you'll eventually need much more extensive, costly, and time-consuming repairs. You only ignore the idiot light on the dashboard of life to your own destruction. This dynamic is actually one that will help us determine if a struggle is just a symptom or something deeper. Symptoms will eventually yield to good intentions that are followed up with consistent work and hard discipline hard work and discipline, okay? If it's only a symptom, it's going to yield to good intentions and hard work. Changing our thoughts and controlling our, our tongue and our other actions till the heat of a particular temptation has passed is the right prescription for service issues. Stuff like reaching down and finding a little faith in God, reading our Bible to find the truth that relates and can be applied, and talking to God to seek understanding and help. It's going to be sufficient for everyday holiness. But when the issue we have come up against is something deeper in our heart, all that discipline and determination will lead directly to greater frustration, disappointment, and disillusionment. This is because disease will not respond to methods that are designed to treat, um, uh, for instance, a simple flu or stomach bug. Okay? Disease will not respond to methods that are designed to treat symptoms. Time will not change anything except make things worse. Uh, if they treat... Uh, a struggle like it is the flu when, in truth, it's a deep cancer. Nothing will improve over the long run or permanently. This is a key indicator that the problem is under the hood and needs a professional look at it. So when there's a symptom, if it's easily dealt with, fine. But when trying to deal with it in the regular ways doesn't um, remove the symptom, that means there's something deeper underneath continuing to create the symptom no matter what we do to it. 
If you can get them to realize that the homework is designed to help them hear from God what the deeper problem is under the skin or under the hood, they can focus their energies on finding the real problem while doing their best in the meantime to keep the symptoms at bay. Up until that point, they have probably tried every very hard to overcome the symptom with determination, want to, discipline, but have been largely unsuccessful. When they realize why and learn how to expend their energy getting to the real issue, they will find hope. Let's take a short break to give your brain a chance to rest. Did you know that this podcast is not the only resource that we have available to help you with your own relationship with God and your spiritual coaching efforts? TwoRivers.Church backslash life coaching, don't forget the hyphen, has dozens of tools and book links to help you in your life with God and your ministry to others. You can even sign up there to get spiritual coaching for yourself with Pastor Carrie, either in person or virtually. It's a work in progress and we'll be getting a facelift soon, but it's chock full of practical content to read, watch, and listen to. Wherever you choose to interact with Pastor Carrie online, please remember to rate, like, follow, and share so that other leaders and coaches can find this helpful content. If you would like to connect with Pastor Carrie, you can go to tworivers.church backslash lifecoaching, email him at carrie at tworivers.church, or text him on Twitter or Facebook by going to at SC dashboard. All right, let's finish today's episode of the podcast. All right, the first this for that was parents versus no parents. Then it was symptoms versus disease. Now we're going to move on with number three, and that is freedom versus maturity. First, let's understand the terms at these two poles, freedom and maturity. Freedom refers to being set loose from the control that one's past wounds and choices have over one's present reality. Maturity refers to having reprogrammed the knee-jerk instinctive reactions to outside stimulus so that we no longer respond as we need to in broken and sinful ways. Freedom is healing and maturity is learning to live like you were well after having lived for a long time in sickness. So freedom is the healing, but maturity is learning to live like you're healed, to make the most of your healing when you're so used to living with sickness. Freedom can be had in an instant in prayer and dependence on the grace and victory of Jesus Christ. Maturity is not instantaneous, but is a result of work, discipline, and determination that will only be effective after freedom has been gained. A single prayer in a single moment activates the love and deliverance of God, but the old habits and instincts and reactive ruts our choices have made still remain. Freedom does not fill ruts. It just releases us, um, the ability to us to, to do what before we were incapable of. Freedom actually fills the ruts so that we're free to turn the wheels in a different direction, but it doesn't actually turn the wheels. Maturity is what turns the wheels in a different direction. When we pray through something with someone and, and then they, they go out and do the old thing again, they, they want to believe that the prayer didn't work and that God did not keep his promise to forgive and set them free. A, a spiritual coast must not leave a person to think that. Proactively warn them that they have their freedom or at least a degree of it. Um, they will still have to do their work in creating the new habits, even though they have the freedom. Uh, they will have to continue to fill in the old ruts and um, make new ones in a new direction or, or or rather, the old ruts are filled in, but they will have to make some new ruts or those old ruts are going to get worn down really quickly because they have not been packed down. It's just filled in with loose dirt and they're going to, it's going to be easier to fall into those old ruts. Here's an illustration I use to help them grasp this concept. Imagine that your old car dies and leaves you stranded on the highway far from home. Or, or it's on its last legs and needs to be replaced before that happens again. You go pick out a shiny new car or a new-to-you car at least and drive it home. 
but on your way home, it begins to get dark and rainy, and so you reach to turn on the wipers and lights. But you drove that old clunker so long that the habits are deeply ingrained. You didn't realize it, but you performed those tasks in the old car without need for conscious thought. Now, in the new car, you do the same. You reach for those couple of controls as if you were in the old car without even thinking about it. But the lights and wipers are in a slightly altered place and function a little differently. You almost wreck the new car until you um, engage your conscious mind to find and, and turn on those functions in the way the new car works. You are in a brand spanking new car, but you are responding to the outside stimulus, the rain in the dark, just like you are still driving the old heap. You are not in the old car. You are free. But you reacted just like you were in the old car because there's not maturity. Okay, you are bringing the new one. You, you are you're bringing the new one like it was the old one. You're 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 reacting to the old one like it's the new one, or the or the new one like it's the old one. Let's get that in the right order. So it is with the difference between freedom and maturity. Freedom is the new car. Maturity is learning where the critical functions are in the new one. It takes time to retain to retrain the subconscious mind to again perform tasks automatically. The ability to change wickedness and brokenness into righteousness and health comes through the freedom only God can bring. Actually making the change so that you live and respond in maturity and not childishness, now that takes a bit longer. All right, and then we're going to talk about forgiveness versus unforgiveness. A, re a common refrain when coaching is, I thought I already forgave them. Uh, a full understanding of what forgiveness is and is not is for the next few episodes. Contact me and, and I'll send you an ebook on forgiveness that I have been working on for a couple decades, actually. It's a, it's a vital teaching that you need to understand and use. I do, ever, however, want to highlight this one explanation that you will need to share often. When people complain that they have already forgiven, there are four possible reasons for why they might need to do it again. We'll go through those quickly and then we'll be done for today. Number one is, well, they did forgive. There's always a chance that they did genuinely forgive. However, doing it again will harm nothing. So this is not a real problem. You have covered all the bases, including the one you may have already covered. Well, you have, you've been thorough. No harm done. So maybe they did forgive, if, even if you have them do it again. Um, they didn't forgive is the second possible one. Of course, the, the obvious first possibility is that they thought they did. But since, for example... They did not grasp what forgiveness really is, so they didn't really forgive. Getting them to read on what forgiveness is and what it looks like will help them assess this one. So maybe they did, maybe they didn't, maybe they did and didn't. <laughs> this is usually a good chance that while they once forgave, they took up the offense again by rehearsing the event. Effectively, they reoffended themselves a second time around because it was their own choice to uh, regurgitate and relive it in their memory and create a new old offense. Uh, tell people that they are letting that person reoffend them every time they replay the tape after having extended forgiveness. Most people are repulsed by the idea and after initial shock are willing to forgive and maintain. So the first one they didn't forgive, the second one, or the first one they did forgive, the second one they just didn't forgive, the third one they did but need to do it again. They did and didn't. Because even though they did forgive once, or maybe twice, or maybe three times, or maybe 300 times, they have replayed the tape, reoffended themselves, and they've got to do it again. Now, the fourth one is they half did, which is connected to number three. This is the one I want to speak to for just a moment before wrapping up this episode. Again, my ebook on forgiveness will explain this, as will the next episode or two. But I want to highlight it here. There are two sides to forgiveness. 
On one side, we have what was done to us, and on the other side, we have how we responded. That explains number two, that the, the, they did and didn't. They did side one, they didn't do side two. They dealt with the hurt, they didn't deal with their own response to it. We may be quicker to forgive the wrong done to us than we are to confess the wrong we did in response to it. Without addressing the second side, we'll have to redo it. This often explains the situation and option number three, they did and they didn't forgive. I first learned this truth when it came to forgiveness in my own life, now some 25 years ago. I needed to forgive someone because of what they had done to me, things I had neither asked nor deserved. Um, that makes us feel so innocent that we tend to excuse our own bitter, hateful, and vengeful response. We feel justified in our lack of grace and forgiveness. I was not a happy camper when I was told that nothing that was done to me justified hatred in return. This is the old two wrongs never make one right proverb. Hatred and bitterness were my own sin. Unforgiveness was eating me alive from the inside out like a cancer. That is also the day I realized that nothing anyone did to me made me who I was, but it was my own response to it that did. I was responsible for being hateful and bitter because that was how I responded to the wrongs I had experienced. That is the other side of the forgiveness coin. We are only half dealing with a person or event from the past that caused pain if we only forgive the wrong to us, but fail to understand, take responsibility for, and correct the way we responded or reacted or processed the wound. As you can imagine, this is neither easy to hear nor easy to say to someone who has been horrifically violated. Victimization is much more popular, as is clinging to a right for justice and vengeance. And for those who are abused and violated, the repulsiveness and seeming insensitivity to suggest such a thing, well, it's just politically incorrect. This is where a clear understanding of forgiveness is not will help immensely. We don't need to trust or excuse or refuse to bring charges against or even get anywhere near the one we need to forgive if they are still unrepentant, dangerous, or have not proven yet that they have changed. Protection is good and right. Hatred and bitterness and revenge are not. Usually when someone discovers how they responded to wounds um, that they should have forgiven, they will discover that this is how they have coped with the many pains and abuses and injustices in life. This is a very real possibility that when people are fighting an addiction that first was a way to forgive and numb pain, but that has now taken on a life of its own, they were not just medicating the wound they received, but also the wounds they gave that have caused them shame and regret. Yay, a vicious cycle of difficult stuff to bring up as a coach, right? Just very hard to talk about some of this stuff. Not everyone will love you for doing it either, especially not at first. If they're looking for a reason to not have to change, forgiveness will be the subject that gives them just what they are looking for. And a spiritual coach is often a scapegoat. But that is our privilege. To share with someone else their pain, to help them carry it until they find the healing they need, is our job and we should be honored. Unless we have been a real jerk, being attacked by someone we coach will probably mean we are on to something important that we will need to come back to when they are ready. Next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, we're going to take an elongated look at forgiveness since it is such a critical issue to the spiritual coaching process. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, don't waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how to work the truth into your life and practice. 
If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been yourself. We pray that God uses the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you are in the upstate New York area, specifically Binghamton, or are visiting or just passing through, look Pastor Carrie and myself up. We'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and chat about our dynamic relationship with God or about how to do spiritual coaching in your context. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the podcast of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.